Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right. Thank you, Olive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I really encourage the families to have their family devotionals. As we just, just finished a whole eight-week series, as most of you know, on marriage and family. And, and part of that was, was, was child-rearing and encouraging you to have family devotionals and encouraging your children to be hiding the word in their heart. Uh, and they are capable of learning and memorizing so much more than we give them credit for, even at a very early age. Uh, and, and so thank you, Olive, uh, very, very much. Uh, before we did that eight-week series on marriage and the family, uh, we were uh, in a longer series uh, on Elijah and Elisha, if you remember back, way back when. Uh, and we just completed the first half on Elijah. Uh, and then we took a break for this eight-week series on the marriage and the family. And now we're going to return to our series. Uh, but before we go into uh, transition into the life of Elisha, I want us to take uh, some time to first look at the one whom Yeshua said came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Eliyahu, uh, Yochanan Hamadbil, or in English, John the Baptist. Uh, and to explore that, I want us to take several weeks now, before we go into the life of Elisha, to look at the life of, of John the Baptist, as detailed in one particular chapter, which is chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. So we're going to start with the first small part of that chapter today. So turn with me, if you can, on the overhead as well, Matthew 11, uh, verses 2 to 6. Uh, now, when John, Yochanan, was imprisoned, he heard what Yeshua was doing, and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? And Yeshua answered and said to them, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. Now, why is John doubting and questioning here? And, you know, he had been Yeshua's biggest supporter uh, and proponent uh, and, and herald. Uh, in fact, uh, he had encouraged his own disciples to leave him and to go follow Yeshua. He says in John 3, verse 30, uh, he, Yeshua, must increase, but I must decrease. So we have to ask, what's now going on here in Matthew 11? John had been the one to to herald Yeshua as his forerunner, uh, announcing Yeshua as the Messiah, uh, immersing him in the Jordan River. Uh, He's the one, uh, he's a forerunner who came in the spirit of the power of Elijah. So why is he now struggling? uh, So he asked Yeshua in verse 3, Matthew 11, 3, are you the one who was to come, or do we look for another? Why is John stumbling, uh, doubting, struggling? The text here gives us two reasons. Two things in the text to tell us why John was confused about the identity of Yeshua. Well, first, because John's life was going so badly. Look at verse 2. It says, John heard about all this while in prison. John the Baptist, he'd been the sensation of the nation. Uh, He'd been like like a rock star, right? Uh, Huge crowds, multitudes come out to hear him preach. He was very popular with the common people. He denounced corruption in the government. Sound familiar? <laughs> but when he criticized the leader, Herod, the king, Herod had him thrown in prison. And now his life is hanging by a thread. And he's become irrelevant and forgotten. And all the crowds had now gone to Yeshua. And one of the things that made John struggle was this. He says, 
if you're the Messiah, uh, if you're the one, and I faithfully served you, why is my life such a wreck? If you're the great God, uh, why are you letting all, all sorts of these bad things happen to good people like me? And how can I believe in you in the face of the tragedy of life and in face of the tragedy of my own life? And the second reason he was filled with doubts is, is a bit more subtle. Why does Yeshua say in verse 6, Matthew 11, verse 6, Blessed is the one who does not take offense at, who isn't offended by me. Why does Yeshua say, John, don't be offended? Clearly because Yeshua understood that was John's problem. He was offended. The text says that while he was in prison, John heard all these things Yeshua was doing. He heard about Yeshua's ministry while he was in prison, and it filled him with offense. Now, let me show you uh, how, the, 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 this, how uh, the burning and contemporary relevance of this, of this interchange, uh, all throughout Matthew 11. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. Here's why it's so relevant to us today. Because here in the secular West, there's always been a lot of you know, indifference to Yeshua. But in 2,000 years, there's probably never been so many people as there are today who, like John the Baptist, are struggling with Yeshua, struggling with, with who he is. Uh, and the secular person today is offended at the gospel. They say, how can I believe in Yeshua in light of all the suffering in the world and all the suffering in my life? How can I believe? And then secondly, how can I believe in anyone who's so offensive in the things that he says and the things that he does? So John's struggling with how bad his life's going uh, and with the offensive, counterintuitive way in which Yeshua is conducting his ministry. And the average secular person in America today feels the same way. They say, if Yeshua is the Messiah, uh, and if he's the Lord, why do all these bad things happen in the world? Why do all these bad things happen to me? Uh, and secondly, I'm offended at Yeshua's terrible claims of, of exclusivity. You know, he claims to be the only way to God. Uh, and these claims offend me. Same thing that happened to John. John was also offended at Yeshua. So do you see how relevant this is? John asked a question that the modern world is asking. In light of the suffering and the evil in the world, in light of all your offensiveness, Yeshua, and all your claims, how do we know that you're the one you say you are? How do we know? And notice Yeshua doesn't say, how dare you question me, John? <laughs> no, Yeshua honors his sincere question. And he gives him a, a very comprehensive answer. So how can we know that Yeshua is indeed the one? How does he answer? What does he say? Let me learn two things from the question uh, and two things from the answer. Two things from John's question and two things from Yeshua's answer. Here are the two things we learn from John's question. We'll put this on the overhead. Uh, if you want to know if Yeshua is the one, number one, don't try to understand yourself before you first understand him. And secondly, if you reject him, you will never be able to stop searching for him. Don't try to understand who you are before you understand who he is. And if you reject him, you'll never stop looking and searching. Now, over the years, I've talked to a lot of people who are trying to find out if Yeshua is real. Uh, they're exploring. Is Yeshua real? Is he the one? Do I really want to be a Yeshua follower? Is he for me? But most people go about the search very different from the way John did. John had a problem. He's in prison. In fact, he's about to die. His life is hanging by a thread. Uh, and yet when he goes to inquire about Yeshua, he says nothing about his problem at all. Notice that. 
He doesn't say, if you're the one, get me out of jail. No. You know, then I'll know. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he simply asks, are you the one? He better wife, by the way, he's utterly different from the thief on the cross. Uh, the scornful, unbelieving thief said, if you're the one, get us down from this cross. Then we'll know. In other words, prove you're the one by solving my problem. And over the years, most people who search for God and search for Yeshua, they typically have a very problem-centered approach to Yeshua. Most people want to know if Yeshua will give me the power and the support to live the way that I want to live. So here are some common examples of how people search today. Someone says, well, I'm thinking about maybe becoming a Yeshua follower, but I'm struggling because I want to be a doctor. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to to be able to get into med school. Uh, Will Yeshua help me get accepted into med school if I believe in him? Will he give me what I want? Or how about this example? I'm struggling with a bad marriage. I want a divorce. Uh, Would there be a problem if I became a Messianic believer? What's the biblical view on divorce? Or I have a problem with self-esteem and, 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 and guilt and, and low self-image. If I come to Yeshua, will he make me feel better about myself? How about a very contemporary question here? Uh, I'm gay. If I agree to believe in Yeshua, will I be supported or will I be condemned? Or, or, or I'm heterosexual and I sleep with my girlfriend. If I become a believer, will I have to stop sleeping with her? Now, what's Yeshua's answer to all these questions? Because in a way, all these questions are the same. Do you know what his answer is? He says, they're all the wrong question. The reason the thief on the cross was wrong and John was right, because the thief says, I want to know if you're going to do, uh, what you're going to do about my life before I, I give my life to you. The thief says, I want to know if you're the Messiah by the way in which you support me. The thief says, if you let me live the way that I want to live, uh, the way that I think that I know I should live, then I know you're the one, that you're the Messiah, that you're who you say you are. Whereas John the Baptist, on the other hand, simply says, are you the one? And the reason that John is right and the thief is wrong is because John is being biblical and the thief is not. The problem is this. The thief and everyone who asks questions like these, those examples that I just gave, uh, they all assume that they already know how their life should be lived. And then they already think they already know who they are and how the world ought to go, all before they know whether or not Yeshua is the very author of life, whether or not he's the one, whether or not he's the one whom your heart was built for. How in the world can you assume to know who you are and what you need before you know whether you've been created or you're just an accident? How can you know who you are and what you were built for before you even know whether or you can know and communicate with the creator of the universe? John would never say, I know that I need to get out of prison. Therefore, are you the one? Prove it. Spring me. No, that's not what he says. But in the overhead here, John says, if I'm just on my own, yeah, of course, I need to get out of prison. That's the only way I'm going to be happy. But if you're the one, Yeshua, then whatever you ask of me will be just a tiny thing compared to what you can give me. And again, the overhead. Whatever sacrifice you ask of me will be nothing compared to the glory that will be mine. 
Whatever you decide for me will be consummately wise and utterly practical and perfectly right. John's not such a fool to think, hey, I can know what's right for me and wrong for me before I know whether Yeshua is my king and my Lord and my Savior and my Messiah and the Son of God and the creator of the universe and the Lord of my life. If Yeshua is who he says he is, then you are utterly different from who you think you are prior to committing your life to him. So it makes no sense to say to Yeshua, if you're who you say you are, Will you let me live my life the way I think it should be lived? That attitude makes no sense at all. One of the reasons people claim to be searching for Yeshua, uh, but haven't gotten any answers, uh, and they're still in doubt and confusion, is because their questions, like the thief's question, they aren't real questions. Uh, It's really an order you're trying to give him. It's really a type of threat. When you come to Yeshua with conditions, when you say... I might be interested in believing in you. Well, first I want to know, will you spring me from jail? Well, will you help me? Will you affirm me in my current lifestyle? Uh, I'll come to you on these conditions. When you say that, what you really mean is, I don't want to know if you want something different from, 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 from me than what I want. I don't really want to know your will for my life. I don't really want to know if you are my Lord and my King. So you're really not asking, are you the one? Uh, Rather, you're trying to give Yeshua an order uh, and use him for your own purposes. Yeah, I'll have a relationship with you, Yeshua, as long as you do for me what I think needs to be done in my life. Do you see how nonsensical and, and insincere this type of alleged seeking is? If Yeshua is who he says he is, if he's the Lord of the universe you don't go about giving him orders. Rather, you fall at his feet in repentance and surrender and say, command me. The reason why so many people say, I've been searching for God, I've been searching for Yeshua, but I can't find him, is because they're not really asking a question. Uh, uh, Or they're demanding certain things in the guise of a question, uh, treating God like he's some genie in a bottle. On the overhead... If you come with conditions, you really don't want to know who Yeshua is. You're really not open. John's question shows us you must start by asking, without any conditions, are you the one? That's where everything starts. Uh, Because before I know that, I can't know anything else. Are you the one, Yeshua? Everything begins there. Once I know that, it changes my perspective on everything else. It changes my perspective on my career. It'll change my perspective uh, on my self-esteem. It'll change my perspective on morality. It'll change my perspective on marriage. Everything will be changed. So how in the world can I ask him a question with all these built-in assumptions before I first know the answer to the crucial truth on which everything else hinges? So if you come to him with conditions, you really don't want to know if Yeshua is the one. The first thing John shows us is you can't possibly understand yourself until you first understand him. You won't be able to understand yourself until you first understand him. On the overhead, therefore, you must not come with any conditions. Second thing we learn is this. Notice that John doesn't say, are you the one or do we stop looking? No, he says in Matthew eleven three, 3, are you the one who is to come or do we look for another? 
And the, the implication here is that if you reject Yeshua, you won't be able to stop looking. You'll always be searching, always be looking. If you reject him, the one true Savior, you'll forever be trying to find and make other things your Savior. Uh, Put that in the overhead. Back in the 60s, there was a famous song by the Righteous Brothers. Uh, You're my soul and my heart's inspiration. You're all I've got to get me by. You're my soul and my heart's inspiration. Without you, baby, what good am I? In that song, the singer is saying to his love, you're my life. Without you, what, what good am I? You're my savior. <laughs> you see, he's looking for another. Whenever you reject Yeshua, you'll always be looking for another. Every, everyone in the world, whether, whether they, they realize it or not, is looking at someone or something and saying, without you, what good am I? You're looking at, at your stock portfolio uh, or your career, or you're looking at, at a person uh, or maybe just a dream. Uh, but you're looking at something or someone. Uh, and we all do this, consciously or not. We all say, whether we admit it or not, uh, without this or without you, what good am I? If you reject Yeshua, you'll turn to someone else and you'll turn them into your God and your Savior. It's not a question of are you the one or should we stop looking? Because you won't be able to stop looking. You'll turn something or someone else into your Messiah. And will this substitute be as forgiving, as wonderful, as merciful, uh, as all-powerful, as loving, as righteous, as awesome, as compassionate, as wonderful? If you look for another, you'll be looking forever. And you will never be satisfied. Now notice how, how, John respond, how, how Yeshua responds. Yeshua doesn't say, John, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you doubting? No, he gives John an amazing answer. John asked the right question, no conditions. I want to know who you are. Uh, I, realize, uh, I, I, um, I realize we're really stuck, Yeshua, if you're not the one. So, so tell me, how do I know how for sure that you are the one? And then Yeshua gives him two answers. And he says on the PowerPoint, the overhead, he he says, you'll not know I'm the one until, number one, you feel my offensiveness. And number two, you see how I welcome the weak. You won't know if I'm the one until you feel my offensiveness and see how I welcome the weak. So you won't know if I'm the one until you feel my offensiveness. Uh, This is the only place in the Bible where someone asks asks Yeshua, how do we know you are who you say you are? And, And where Yeshua actually gives an answer. So he first says, you won't know, you won't be able to know who, that I'm the one who, I am who I say I am, uh, uh, and, and, and what I am, and why I am, unless you first feel my offensiveness. And in Matthew 11, verse 6, he says, blessed are those who don't take offense at me. That's kind of a weird beatitude, right? You know, blessed are those who don't take offense at me. Uh, so on the overhead here, Yeshua is saying this. The only people who found my blessedness are those who have wrestled with my offensiveness, felt my offensiveness, and yet refused to be stumbled over or take offense over me. They've seen it, they've felt it, but they've dealt with it. So if you don't even see his offense, you're not dealing with the real Yeshua. You're just dealing with a figment of your imagination, a sentimental religious icon. But on the other hand, if you take offense and if you stumble over him, you're not looking at all the evidence Yeshua shows you. 
And both these two extremes, both, both the sentimental religious person and the utter skeptic, are failing to see the real Yeshua. Uh, and thus, neither one has his blessedness. Uh, now, why is John at risk of being offended here? Yeshua, uh, in essence, is saying, John, you're struggling. You're taking offense at me. I see that. You have to overcome this temptation. John, it's good you've gotten rid of this vague, sentimental view of me that you used to have. Uh, you're, you're feeling my offensiveness. That's good. Matthew eleven six again, blessed is, he, is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Now, it's interesting that the actual Greek word that's used here uh, is the word scandalon. Yeshua says, blessed is anyone who's not scandalized by me. Or, or as we said, blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me. Uh, now, this is such an up-to-date word, isn't it? You know, uh, all through our, our political process today, uh, and society, and, and university campuses, uh, and TV talk shows, people are constantly getting offended. Uh, and this word scandalon means you get offended so that you don't believe. And indeed, the mo- modern secular people, they're constantly saying, I find, uh, I find Yeshua, or, or the Bible, or the gospel, or the cross so offensive, I can't believe it. And Yeshua actually gives us a, a new beatitude here. He says, blessed is the one who does not get offended at me. And this means two things. First, Yeshua, in essence, is saying, I am offensive. My claims are offensive. You don't warn someone not to be offended at you unless you know what you're about to say is going to be offensive. When you say, I'm going to tell you something, but please don't get offended, it means what you're about to say is offensive. (laughs) So the first thing Yeshua says is, I'm offensive. Many people say, well, we can't believe everything Yeshua said, but we can agree that he was a great moral teacher who taught us to love our neighbors. People like that, right? Why? Because that's not offensive. But what about the real Yeshua is offensive? Why would John have this feeling of offensiveness? Probably for the same two reasons that we are offended at him today. And we'll put this on the overhead. Number one, the claims. And number two, the cross. So first, so the claims of Messiah and the cross of Messiah. First is claims. John, like any good Jew, believed in the coming of the Messiah. He even proclaimed Yeshua as the Messiah. But he's now put off by the scope and the magnitude of Yeshua's claims about himself. And anyone who reads the Gospels seriously and actually sees the claims Yeshua makes about himself will likewise feel this offensiveness. Because his claims are astonishing. You know, for example, he says in John 14, 9, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Yeshua says that to see him is to see God the Father. And then in John 8, 58, he say, says, um, uh, we read this, Yeshua said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Here Yeshua claims not only to be older than Abraham, <laughs> but to be eternally preexistent from the beginning. And he purposely uses the divine name, I am, which in Hebrew would be yud heh vav you know, the Lord, Adonai. You could not make a stronger Hebraic claim to deity. And then in John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. One divine essence, uh, a unity. Yeshua was claiming to be part of the Godhead. And the Jews, of course, knew exactly what he was saying. Uh, because the next verse, John 10, 31, says the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And then Yeshua also says, in the Gospels, he says, all sins are, are really against me. Uh, and, all, and, and only I can forgive. 
an absolute claim to deity. In Matthew 7 and elsewhere, he says, I am the one who will judge the living and the dead. In Matthew 28 and in John 20 and elsewhere, he, he receives people's worship and he encourages them to worship him. If you read the Gospels carefully, it's on every page. He says, I'm the Lord of the Shabbat. Well, God created the Sabbath. So, so what's the implication here? In Matthew 23, you hear casually off the cuff, he says, I keep sending you prophets and you keep killing them. Yeshua was claiming to be the one who all through the centuries kept sending prophets to our people. And he says it so casually and so off the cuff that it's easy to miss these claims. But his divine self-understanding is always there. It's behind everything he says. Look at Luke 10, 18. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He just casually says, oh, by the way, disciples, I was there in heaven when Satan fell. Uh, I saw it. (laughs) He also says, you must hate your father and mother if you want to follow me. Meaning I demand such loyalty and such love uh, so intensely that all other loves, all other loyalties look like hate by comparison. It's claims like this that got people upset. John is offended at these claims because he's beginning to realize that these claims are pulling him way beyond uh, what, he, he, what uh, he would have gotten with, with a merely inoffensive Messiah. Because based on these claims, Yeshua, is, he's, he's either the most wicked or the most crazy guy on the face of the earth, or he is who he says he is, which is something far bigger than either John or, or anyone else expected. On the overhead here, John realizes that if Yeshua is the, is the one, our relationship with him will be limitless in the commitment that it demands of you. John realizes there is no in-between. If Yeshua is not wicked or crazy, uh, then he's the one who he says he is, which means that he can demand anything of you. And he can also give you anything. On the overhead, John begins to realize that a relationship with this Messiah is very different than a relationship with an inoffensive Messiah. A relationship with Yeshua, the real Yeshua, will be all-absorbing and limitless in in, in its commitment. And so John is scared. John's worried. And he's offended over these claims. Uh, and because a total commitment to Yeshua requires this. Uh, uh, these claims require that if we want to relate to him, we must submit to his divine authority. Yeshua says, if you want to relate to me, you must acknowledge me as Lord and as king. There is no in-between. He's, he's either evil or quite crazy, or he's the son of God uh, and God the son. God in the flesh, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of our life. And there is no middle ground. So, um, number one, the overhead. Number one, Yeshua. So, number one, John is offended by the claims. But number two, John's also offended by the cross. Well, did John even know about the cross? Well, he knew enough to see the direction that Yeshua's career was taking him. Because Yeshua was taking the way of weakness. He wasn't marshalling an army. He wasn't marshalling political power. He wasn't running for office uh, or or giving talk shows. Uh, No, he was completely vulnerable. Just like John in prison, you know, smashed like a bug. So John wants to know what's going on here. Uh, he's confused. 
So in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, Paul says, if Yeshua had come in power and said, I'm going to save you by being a great example, here's how you should live, that wouldn't have offended us. But Paul says the cross offends us. You know why? Now, here's a small example. Let's say I give you a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And you say, well, why did you give me this book? Uh, Because you need it. Well, maybe you're a little bit offended then. (laughs) Because some gifts can't be appreciated until you first admit your need. But there's never been a gift like the cross. Because if Yeshua had come in strength to save us, saying, here's an example for you to follow, follow my example, that wouldn't offend us, but it also wouldn't have worked. Because it would not have been offensive on the overhead. But he came in weakness. And the cross says this. The cross says, you are so lost and so helpless that only the death of the Son of God will save you. And he's going to take what you deserve. Watch what happens to him. That's what you deserve. So there's no way to say, thank you for this gift, without saying, I am a lost and helpless sinner. I need grace. And nothing but grace. And therefore, John was offended. And Yeshua says, good, you're on the right track. Now, why would Yeshua say this? Here's why, on the overhead. Unless you feel the offensiveness of Yeshua, you will never become a transforming presence in your life. Yeshua, he's glad John's offended because he's getting rid of that sentimental religious idol. Don't let uh, any religious theories that try to make Yeshua inoffensive, that try to make, go for this middle ground that Yeshua, by his offensiveness, removes, don't be duped or seduced by these false, counterfeit, inoffensive, denuded, emasculated gospels. Many people say, I believe in Yeshua who's just a teacher of love. I believe in Yeshua who says, I love you just the way you are. But in your effort to make Yeshua not offensive, you've made nonsense of the Bible and nonsense of history. Because why in the world would anyone want to execute Mr. Rogers? (laughs) If you have an inoffensive Yeshua, only affirms you and likes you just the way you are, you know, a, a tame Yeshua, a, a Mr. Rogers Yeshua, it makes a mockery of history. Yeshua offended people. He offended our, our Jewish establishment, our leaders, left and right. That's why they killed him. Now, if you say, I don't believe in a God of wrath. I don't believe that, that I'm that bad. I don't believe that God's that mad. I just believe that he loves everyone just the way you are. So there's no need for Yeshua to have to die for our sins. How, how primitive that is, uh, uh, and retrograde, and, and bloodthirsty. Now, if that's how you think of God and his love, is that going to change your life? Is that kind of imaginary God, uh, is his, whose love for you cost you nothing, going to change anything? When you think about uh, the true Lord, the offensive Lord, who says, you're so sinful that for me to love you, I had to come and die in your place. If you instead invent an inoffensive Yeshua who loves everyone just the way they are, is that going to make you weep? Is that going to change your life? Is that going to humble you into the dust? Is that going to get you through the dark times and lift you to the skies? Is that going to cause you to exclaim, he loved me like that, that he would do that for me? 
Will that we be electrified? Will he be a transforming presence in your life for the inoffensive of Yeshua? No. For Yeshua to change you, he must come into your life as he is, as the Lord of the universe and the master of your life. And if you don't feel his offensiveness, he'll never be a transforming presence in your life. That's why Yeshua says, blessed are the ones and only the ones who've wrestled with my offensiveness and have come to terms with it. And that's why well, when people who, uh, have met Yeshua, uh, they'd actually meet him. They never respond, oh, what a nice teacher. No, they either hated him or they ran away from him or they fell at his feet and worshiped him. They always responded to him in an extreme way. Now, why are his claims so offensive? I'm the savior of the world. I'm the Lord of the universe. Why are these claims so offensive? They're mainly offensive because of what they imply about us. That's why we're offended. If Yeshua says, I'm the Lord of the universe, that means you are not competent to run your life. You need my help. When he says, I'm the savior of the world, that means you cannot save yourself. You are a hopeless sinner unless I atone for your guilt. The reason why he's so offensive isn't just because of what he said about himself, but because of what he implies about us. Yeshua's claims say, you are a sinner, you need salvation, you need a master and a Lord, and that will offend every human heart on this planet. Yeshua says, yes, my salvation and my grace can come to you just the way you are, because you don't earn it or merit it, but it only comes to those who are not satisfied with the way they are. Because they know that they're poor. They know that they're lame. They know that they're blind. And Yeshua says, listen, when my grace comes into your life just the way you are, uh, uh, and it then gives you a power uh, to act uh, on your holy discontent about the parts of your life that need to change, that you don't like just the way you are. And that and only that will change you. So blessed are those who actually wrestle with my offensiveness because they're coming to terms with who I actually am. But then secondly, those who don't take offense at me. Again, Matthew eleven six, Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. For the person who's never seen the offense, Yeshua won't change your life. And the person who takes offense, who says, I hate all these claims, all these claims that he's God, that he's the one, that he's the savior, I hate them. That won't change your life either. But for those of you who are ready to follow Yeshua, for those who see his claims to deity uh, and exclusivity uh, and redemption and kingship and and are ready to embrace him and receive him and submit to him, what does Yeshua say? He says, look at my deeds. Look at my fruit. Look at my life. Look at verse 4, Matthew 11, verse 4. Yeshua answered and said to them, Go and report back to John what you you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Yeshua says, John, you've finally gotten rid of of the the inoffensive, unscriptural uh, uh, view of me that you used to have. Now you see who I am. Uh, but unlike all the megalomaniacs who make these crazy claims and who only hang out with the elites and who oppress the poor and manipulate the poor uh, and use the poor, look at me. I preach the good news to the poor. 
Wicked and crazy people do not act like I act. Or love like I love. Or change people like I change people. And then again in verse 6 he says, Feel my offense. Don't make me some mild-mannered nice guy. Or some good moral teacher. Or some Mr. Rogers. But go past your hurt pride. And look at the evidence. Look at my life. How could I be some wicked or crazy person and do all the things that I do? My deeds document the truth of my claims. Come to me and I'll change you from the inside out. I'll transform your life and there is no middle ground. Blessed is the one and only the one who has has wrestled with my offensiveness, but who has not taken offense because they see their sin and their hopelessness and they say to them and, and, and their inability to save themselves and they confess, I can only be saved by your grace, Yeshua. On the overhead, the, the claims of Messiah and the cross of Messiah are offensive because they teach you you can only be saved by grace. Most people think that, 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 that um, they're in control of their own life. Uh, but things are going well because, because I work hard. And therefore, most people, they want a religion not of grace, uh, uh, but, but of doing what, what I need to do to get there. But the poor, the poor of this world know that, that, that where you are is because it's a gift. They know you are not in control of your life. And so when Yeshua reveals himself to them and says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened and who labor, come to me, all you who are poor in spirit. Come to me, all you who know you're spiritually blind and lame and unclean and deaf and dead. Come to me, all you who know that you need grace alone. They're the ones who come. You know, the poor of this world are much more open to Yeshua than the rich. Why? Because the poor know they need grace. And Yeshua says, blessed is the one struggles with the offense but does not take offense Yeshua says swallow your pride come to me only those who confess their utter spiritual poverty and need and helplessness will receive my grace amen hallelujah let's stand and pray music team come on up Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you today for this account of John the Baptist, Yohanan Hamadbil, who came in the spirit and power of Eliyahu, of Elijah, who came preaching, repent, because the kingdom of God's at hand, uh, uh, who, who warned the religious, don't boast in your Judaism uh, or any religious heritage, uh, uh, that you're children of Abraham, because God can raise up children of Abraham from these very rocks. And Yeshua, he told the religious leaders, if you're truly children of Abraham, then do the deeds of Abraham. Prove your faith by your transformed life. And we only have a transformed life if we first wrestle with who Yeshua is. And then we embrace him and submit to him and follow him. Because he's the Lord of the universe. He's the great I am. (laughs) He says, before Abraham was, I am. And he went to the cross because only the death of the Son of God could pay for my sins. He died the death that I should have died. So, Lord, help us today to surrender our pride. Uh, that, 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 we, that we say we're not so bad that we don't need the cross. We, we, we're not so bad that we don't need a Savior. Help us to see, yes, 
we are that bad and vile uh, and wicked. And help us not to be offended by that truth. Help us, help us be willing to give up all of our conditions, all of our lust to remain in control of our own life, and simply submit to you, Yeshua, today with childlike faith. But help us to see that we are blind and lame and unclean and deaf and poor and, yes, dead. But that you, Yeshua, you cure and you heal all that ails us and all that disqualifies us and condemns us by your grace. You redeem us by your blood. Because, Yeshua, you and you alone are the one who was and the one who is to come. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.